right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pound of cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pound of cheese? They get the metrics. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Right, we are live, my friend. All right, welcome to the Hookup on Film. <laughs> All right, before we get started here, let's go ahead and play our awesome intro. All right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup, I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pound of cheese in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pound of a cheek. Yeah, they get the metrics. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. That sounded really good. Did it? I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but we are tonight's entertainment in so many ways. Hold on one oh second. Right, there was a, already a glitch. Hold on here. Oh Hold on, gosh. everyone. Well, that's so why we started a couple seconds early here. This is what I did wrong here. All right. Here so unprofessional. I know. Here we Look go. This... I'm going to play the intro one more time. Here we go. But you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pound of cheese in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pound of cheese? They get the metrics. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. We are tonight's entertainment. Yes. In more yes, ways than one. Yes, we have... are tonight's entertainment tonight. I'm I don't so... know who had the genius idea that you can look at us because nobody wants to see my ugly mug. <laughs> but I guess the people needed proof that Tony really does look like McLovin. That is very true. <laughs> so you, you can watch us. If you're listening to the podcast, Go to youtube.com backslash at the hookup on film. That is our YouTube page where not only do we have awesome videos, but we're now recording live. Not recording yes. Live. You can find us a whole entire recording of Tony and I just staring at the camera, <laughs> discussing, talking. If you don't want to waste your time just listening, you want to need to watch with your eyes. Check us out. We're now on YouTube. You can find a whole podcast now on YouTube. Wow, this is this is very exciting. I've been playing with this thing for, for the last hour and a half, waiting. So when you're like, I'm early, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm ready to go. If you need to stare at two white guys wearing hats. 
Well, you know, you know what? You got your head on. I'm okay. I'll go without it. I'll do my crazy hair. That listen, I have crazy hair, which is why I'm wearing my hat. <laughs> my hair is all done up so nicely in the day that by the time I get off, I let it let it go. All right, this is cool. We are is live. It, we I'll take some, your word for it. We got some good stuff. We got some good stuff tonight. You can also check us out on uh, Instagram. Tony's running an Instagram of at the hookup on film. According to him, he thinks we're actually going to get to some topics like car scenes we and may. actors that age. We may not. Get better with age. Today, we've got such a good round of, of topics that we got to get to. Um, really quick at the end, too, if you by chance have to run, I have been given the next, um, I'm going to read it here live, the next um, Adam G. 1940s movie. Um, got a little slide and everything. And we'll save that for the end. Because from now on, uh, this this will be the show. This will be all the extras. Everything you get is going to be right here live. So this is this is fun. So let's get started here. We got a, well, you got the shirt, hook up on film shirt up on the screen here. And it's perfect time to announce. So as many, if you follow us on Twitter, know we're trying to get to 100 followers. We're so close. As of recording, we're at 92 we're going to get there soon. However, um, I should say, however, <laughs> when we get to 100, we are going to raffle off a hookup on film shirt and two movie tickets. Show of your choosing. Now, for those loyal fans, for those of you who are actually listening, we got a special incentive for you. Shoot me. Or shoot the hookup on film Twitter, a DM, like yo, let me get an F- an extra raffle ticket, and boom, you'll you'll submit your name twice. So for those who are just us on Twitter, they only get one entry, but for those of you listeners, you can get an extra one. You can never have too many. Never have too many. Hopefully, a little extra incentive for you true fans out there. Heck yeah! Very cool. Very cool. So we are. Let's hop right into our what we always get started with here, our our verses. Yeah, Mike Nichols. Um, if you were live, would have celebrated a birthday last week. So we decided to do a Mike Nichols versus Battle. His first, I believe, his first two films, right? Yeah, yeah. I, actually, that's a good question. Keep keep going, and then I'll give you the. Example. I don't have. Can't have I, I have them all. Yeah. I have them all pulled up. I have them pulled up right here. I'm almost positive it's first two films. It's uh, the Graduate versus Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Tony, it is his first two movies. Yes. Yeah. See, I was right. You were right on target. Look at that. Me. Ah. This is one where it's not close, but uh, make your argument. Well, I'm going to pick really quick, and the reason really quick is is Richard Burton in this movie is he's really, really good. And I, I thought about a, a, something that you had talked about before. Um, you had brought up about how the movie's really a lot of acting, I think, you, as you described it, right? Is that what you said? Capital A, acting! Which I wonder if, like, part of it is that's what they were. I mean, like, that's what the movie is. It's creamed to acting. And I think that's why I like it so much. 
Um, the Graduate, though, very awesome movie. Um, and actually probably a better all-around film. Um, because I believe that, and I don't believe it was his second movie. Um, Virginia Woolf was a little bit more, you know, one one dimensional with these characters just in this room where The Graduate had a lot more going on with it. But uh, I picked Virginia Woolf just because, honestly, because you know, I'm not going to pick it. Seen too much of Elizabeth uh, Taylor, um, but after watching this movie, I could see where she had some good acting chops and Richard Burton um amazing um in this movie i like the way i like i like arguing on film if you can make it legit and quality i say i say go for it and i think they do that pretty well in this movie i like how you spelled wolf incorrectly i I did didn't i see that's (laughs) what's great about a first show is that there's going to be some technical difficulties uh but is she a wolf she she attacks some people in this movie (laughs) I mean, I know that's the purpose of it, of four people in a room getting drunk and yelling at each other, mm-hmm. but uh, I found it absolutely brutal. I, I can't stand Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You can have oh, drunk acting and arguments without just like being over the top and yelling at each other. I just found it to be too much. It's too over the top. I I didn't care for anyone. I didn't care for the story. Well, without going, I didn't care for much, the characters. I, I just, I didn't care. Without going too much into it, what, um, what's I going to say is what, like you brought up the other day. We talked real briefly, and we'll talk about it later on our Sam Mendes episode. But Revolutionary Road, which movie would you say was better? Uh, I mean, Revolutionary Road had less people yelling at each other because. Who's so afraid you just of Virginia? Don't like that. You're not. Is there a movie you like which is people in a room yelling at each other the whole movie? I love Twelve Angry Men. Well, yeah, that's pretty good. That's but that's not like a relationship breaking down. See, like I enjoy, and I, it's sad to say because it's actually not really something positive. But when you could watch somebody's marriage break down and not make it seem so stupid and cliche, but I know that's what you're going to say. Virginia Woolf was so, but. I like for the time period. If you're watching Virginia Woolf now and you're putting it in today's time period, you're right. But see, when I watch the movie, I'm imagining I'm in the movie theater the year it was released and I'm watching it then. And I, maybe that's why it could be different. But I still respect your opinion that you do not enjoy it. But what do you enjoy about The Graduate? See, to me, if you want a movie that's like all about a time period... I think The Graduate is like a perfect time capsule of a movie. That's true. Like we're now starting to get away from the quote-unquote golden age of Hollywood and into that 70s tour. I think Graduate is 70s, though, right? Yeah. But we're starting to see that transition like really towards a tour. I mean, I'm going to call it a tour. I'm like in my head, like I'm hearing – like people are like, well, you know, there's so many people that involve movies, blah, blah, blah. But like really towards that like 70s auteur driven cinema. And to me, the graduate is that perfect time capsule of that transition. And also just a cultural transition in American um uh in our society, right? Like, yeah. you know, young kids, you know, with that the whole thing about disillusionment and 
not knowing what to do when you grow up versus, you know, the generation before in multiple generations where, you know, you, you get a job at 18, you work in the factory and you stay there till you die. And you get this young asshole kid who's like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what to do in this world. And I kind of think it's the perfect encapsulation of like where the country was at that time too. And I just, I also, I, I mean, everybody knows the ending to the graduate, right? It's been parodied oh, yeah. so much, you know, oh, yeah. Wayne's world. I know it's just a famous parody of, but I, I just, I love that ending of it's funny. I saw that first before actually the graduate. I, know, I, I bet you a lot of people did. Um, but uh, it's, a but, you know, I, 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 yeah, I love that ending of just like, that subversion, which is the whole movie feels like a subversion of the country, right? Where it's like in every other rom-com, it's you break up the wedding and then you're happy, you live happily ever after. And then they sit there on the back of the bus and they're like, did we make the right decision? Oh, shoot. <laughs> and it just ends. And I, I just, I, I not only really like the graduate, I, I also really dislike who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. No, I mean, and I'll be honest with you. You've have you seen? And I always ask you this question: Have you only seen Virginia Woolf about one time, probably? Yeah, but I saw it like two years ago. Yeah, no, it's not even the time period. I, I, it's I don't even know why, because it was a movie that actually me and my wife together were drawn to for some oddball reason, and we don't really watch a lot of like older movies like that. For so for some reason, I think I just wanted to knock it off of that list, but. Yeah, it's on AFI's top 100 list. There's a podcast I was listening to that was basically like breaking down all the movies on that list. So I was like, might as well give it a try. And uh, really did not enjoy my experience. I just really like, I don't know, I like cunning talk. And they're very cunning to each other in that movie. They're very rude. They're ignorant. I mean, the movie is about the opposite of a pleasurable experience or a pleasurable movie. But, I mean, that's, you know... That could, but understandably so, it's not. It's not for everybody. I mean, that's that's understandable. But my, are you a fan? I mean, really quick off since it was his birthday. Are you a fan of some of his other movies, Mike Nichols? Um, I don't run. Uh, to be honest, I like. So I haven't seen the Birdcage. You never seen the Birdcage? I never saw the Birdcage. Pretty, it's pretty hilarious. I'm shocked because honestly, that was a movie that honestly, when I first saw it. I think I was too, like, I don't want to use what term, but I was immature and I didn't really find the humor in it. But it's definitely pretty, pretty good. Honestly, I think the only other Mike Nichols movie I've seen closer and I don't remember a thing from it and okay. Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, closer, I, I enjoy quite a lot. Um, oh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf came first? For some reason, I thought it came second. No, yeah, I said that earlier. It came first. I don't know if the thing to say. The Graduate obviously is an improvement and i mean virginia wolf they're just like you said it's in a room where the graduate i mean it's now i never seen catch 22 but i've seen carnal knowledge with uh jack nicholson definitely worth checking out if you like mike nichols but again um very good so what Listen, there's a like? reason i said we're only talking about his first two films because i've only seen his first two no i know but uh, i just thought i'd bring up a couple others where are we moving on to now my man we are moving on to the patron saint of the podcast, Sam Rockwell, because he has nice. a newish movie with Shersha Ronan. Uh, it's now on HBO Max called 
see how they run. It's basically like a Knives Out type Agatha Christie um, send up where Ronan and Rockwell play the detectives trying to solve a murder. Uh, what'd you think of see how they run, Tony? Um, what did I think of it? Well, to cut to the chase, I didn't think much of it, to be fair. Um, honestly, the one thing I did think about it was it was very like the cinematography was very bright. It looked like it had all the pieces to be very good. I'm a huge Adrian Brody fan. And at the beginning, what he was doing, I was kind of like, this could be pretty good. I don't know, though. It's just after about 20 minutes, I kind of lost interest really quick. But uh, yeah, Sam I, Rockwell, I, I, he wasn't very Sam Rockwell in this movie. Yeah, I, I texted you that, like, you're going to be disappointed by Sam Rockwell's performance because they essentially neuter him. Like, obviously, no one but you likes Iron Man 2, but at least Iron oh. Man 2 allows Sam Rockwell to cook, allows him to dance and and be charming. And in this movie, he's just flaccid and straight. And I don't want to make know, assumptions. Sh- he almost like came across as like sick in the movie or something. Something was off with him in the movie. Now I don't know if that was just what the character was based on. But that being said, it didn't work for what they were trying to to pull off. I don't believe there are so many. Like if you wanted that type of actor that straight man type thing don't hire sam rockwell like that's the thing with rockwell is that he's um like rubber you know he moves he dances he shakes yeah i mean he could have did more in the role they just didn't have him doing very much and i thought the whole movie was too cute by half it was like i mean agatha christie is a character in the movie and they were trying to like do like sort of a send-up of agatha christie type murder mysteries and it's like you know, knives out. There's going to be glass onion coming out in a couple of weeks. Knives out um, came out a couple of years ago. Ryan Johnson films, and I'm not a fan of the genre, but like clearly, like those movies do it. What see how they run is trying to do so much better. Well, that's the thing is that they, uh, I think that they just didn't pretty much put in the time into the script that they really could have to make it better. And really looking at it, I mean, there's nobody. Mark Chappelle, what is he doing? Well, David Oyelowo plays the writer. He's like a guy. Well, he's awesome in the movie. I'm talking about the writer of the movie. It's like like the actual people behind the scenes. He's good at, I mean, but he doesn't really, he's low as build on the cast. And I really like Ruth Wilson too. She's a great actress. Um, What did she she play in the? She was like the, uh. I think she's end up. I don't want to give anything away. She ends up playing um, Paul uh, Petula Spencer. Oh, does she? Does she play the um, the 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 plain woman? Yes, 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 yes. yes. She's really good in a couple other shows that I've watched, but it it doesn't like none of these actors or actresses. I believe cook really the well. It's not just Rockwell. It's the whole entire movie. It's not like you know. I don't know. I was really honestly, I was out to, to prove you wrong when you were like, this ain't your Sam Rockwell. I'm like, he don't know my Sam. I like Sam any any which way, but you were right on target. Because I uh, was, it just didn't, something about it just didn't, didn't, didn't. Gel. It also wasn't funny. Like it was supposed to be funny. 
know. It wasn't. And it had that joke of like the one joke I liked where everyone was saying their titles, like inspector, detective, constable. Like that part, I got kind of a chuckle out of. But you know, it it gets to the point where these, how do I say it? Um, It needs to be fresh. It needs to be original. And I don't think really anything in this movie was 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 that. I'm glad it was free on HBO. Yeah, Max. I mean, they they were trying to do like a meta commentary on the genre of like they're performing this Agatha Christie play while an Agatha Christie type murder mystery happens around the play, and it just didn't. It just it didn't work. It it wasn't that clever as the script in the movie thought it was, and it wasn't funny. Uh, and yeah. Trisha Rona was fine. She's probably a little bit better than Rockwell because she at least got to be animated and play off of him. But, you know, it's um, distributed by Fox Searchlight, or I think they're now just Searchlight. And they have a really great track record of, like, in the, like bigger independent films. This movie did, I mean, for this kind of movie, it took in $21 million. That's kind of shocking. It's pretty good. So, I mean, like, honestly, somewhere along the lines, I know it was released because I remember it released, but I didn't pay much attention to it. But you know what this is a good movie for is like your your 60 to 80 year old crowd that goes to the movies on Saturday morning or Sunday morning. It's a good light on your feet. But like you said, kind of like Agatha Christie, it just wasn't for me, I don't believe. It might not even be for Sam Rockwell fans because obviously neither one of us dug him in it but maybe and honestly if you're an agatha christie fan are you really going to enjoy this no but i could see i don't want to always use them as an example but my in-laws they like to go see movies like yeah old people will love this movie yeah that's what i mean that's it's inoffensive that's what it is you got it there's no meat on any bones in this movie you're just which is shocking because honestly by the poster even you know you're thinking that you know, I'm, you know, this kind of gives it the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit of a Coen's vibe, Coen brothers, you know, I'm thinking with all these actors up here, we're going to get something pretty special. And we really just get, honestly, I would have taken a Coen brothers version of this movie. Well, like, that's why I was thinking it was more along the lines of one of their last ones, hail Caesar, but it, it just didn't, it was like, what can you do? You know, all right, a couple of Harry Style movies were released recently. We're not going to talk about those. Um, we're not going to talk about them next episode because next episode we got something really awesome planned for you guys. So check out My Policeman and Don't Worry Darling. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Yes, which but Darling I just dropped today. It dropped yesterday. I saw yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday is Tuesday. I keep forgetting. Yes, yesterday. Uh, Monday by the time people hear this and see this. Hopefully they're not seeing this. This is... (laughs) I brush my beard for this. Right now, if someone was to go and just go on YouTube, it's live. Where we are as live as... Are we live? Yes. Oh, that's a shame. Well, it is and it's not. Okay, so in the future... Nobody knows about it, so it's not like... But like next week or in two weeks... So in the future, if people want to actually hear us record live... You could take 
we could take the link and put it on the Twitter and you can say click here. And well, it doesn't, it shows up to our YouTube page, right? YouTube page, YouTube page. I'm sorry. Yes, YouTube page. You wouldn't bring yeah, so YouTube.com yep. backslash you need the at sign, the hook up on film. We record Tuesdays, eight to ten central time. And I'm curious too, because a lot of people seems to like to watch these podcasts. So even though we're not the you know the James Dean type looking fellas, people still might say, Hey, you know, I'll just sit in my living room on my chair and watch these guys talk and put out their uh their graphics or whatnot they're doing. Okay. Don't don't watch us live, but you can if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what are we doing now? Right now we are going to the other new movie of the week. It was released on the Roku channel. That is weird. Ooh. The Daniel Radcliffe vehicle of the biopic of Weird Al Yankovic. Now, before we get started at all, I wanted to point this out to you because I don't know if you noticed this. This gentleman right here in the background is part of his band here. What movie is he? What movie is he from? We talked about it recently on a podcast. I don't know. Sixth Sense. He's the kid. No, that's not Haley Joel Osment. I'm sorry. What movie was he? I'm sorry. I'm We're not... talking about Entourage the movie. Yes. No, I'm talking about something else. Hold on a second. Now I've messed this all up. But yes, you can continue talking about weird. Go on. Yeah, it's based off of a funnier die short. I think it was like this joke um, when the Notorious B.I.G. Um, movie biopic came out. This guy, Eric Appel, did one on Weird Al Yankovic, and then Weird Al worked with him. It was like, shoot, let's just actually make this movie. So it actually does pull like real elements from Weird Al's life. Like a traveling salesman did come to his house, and that's why he got an accordion. Um, they did record his first song by Baloney uh, in uh, a, a bathroom, a public bathroom. You know, all the, the songs are kind of around the time he were he did record but obviously he never dated madonna <laughs> no he, he sure did not date madonna i mean obviously some parts it goes off the rails um but it it, it obviously is skewering the music biopic genre by using like real elements of weird al's life yeah so ultimately it is a send-up uh of the genre and did you think it was effective I mean, I thought it was entertaining. Um, I saw a post you made about what your wife had to say. <laughs> and honestly, I was really, I think we'd get along pretty great because I uh, agreed with her a little bit. Um, not that I think, I think it went off the rails a little too much at times. Um, you know, I mean, not that honestly, I don't think his real life biopic would have been anything of super interest. I saw a... His behind, you know, when VH1 used to do those behind the yes. musics, yes, like uh, back in the day, they yes. did one on him, and ultimately his life is like pretty boring, right? It's like he he very at a very young age he submitted his stuff to the Doctor Demento show, you know, parodied by Rain Wilson, yes, in the movie. Um, they kind like, of yeah. blew up a little bit, mm -hmm. um, and then he kind of got a record deal, and they just they allowed him to just. They gave him money and to keep making records, and so eventually he just he became just the iconoclast of the genre just because 
they kept being moderately successful. And even when some of his records weren't successful, he still got chances. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's a guy who made music for 20 years. That's his life. 30 years. Well, you talk about somebody who's just, just again, somebody who's just talent, lots of talent. And, and just the movie show, I like Daniel Radcliffe. I think he did a good job. He's not somebody who I think in any shape, way, or form made that movie bad or worse. So anyone who's going to... I also like he's not even trying to be weird out. He's clearly just on Daniel Radcliffe in a wig. Yes. And that's where I think the movie was... was, It was was fun. It was a fun movie. But then again, I guess that's not what I thought it was until I was actually in the movie watching it. I thought it was more biopic, but then when you're watching it and you realize what he's doing is he's spoofing his life the way he does the songs outrageously from his point of view. But I like all the actors that they got in this movie. They were able to get a lot of different people in different roles. Yeah, the pool scene, they got a lot of really good cameos. You know, which I think is Um, beneficial to the movie. Um, I'm looking here at some of the people here. Yeah, like Yorma Tacone and um, Akiva Schaefer, two-thirds mm-hmm. of the Lonely Island to be in that scene. Hold on, let's... And uh, the the kid in the band's from Unbreakable. That was the movie, not Sixth Sense, because that's Haley oh. Johnson's Unbreakable. But he's also in, like, Glass and some other stuff, but he wasn't So really- Yorma Tacone plays Pee Wee Herman, Dimitri Martin plays Tiny Tim, Paul F. Tompkins plays Gallagher, Akiva Schaefer plays Alice Cooper, Conan O'Brien plays Andy Warhol. Emo Phillips plays Salvador Dali. Jack Black plays Wolfman Jack. And David Desmalchian plays John Deacon in that scene. Very awesome. I mean, I think what it was going for doing, it definitely, it definitely did it. And, I, and you know, I like Julianne Nicholson as his mom. Even like at the end, the like final scene, Toby Huss as his dad. Not big time actors or actresses, but I think they did a solid part in that movie. Did you laugh out loud at this movie? A, cu- a couple parts, because like people like Doctor Demento, he was as straight as an arrow. Never drank, never did drugs. In the movie, they make him seem like he's some drugged out guy. So for me to know stuff about like some of these background stories makes me laugh because I see what they were doing. And I think they did it well. And I think a lot of people, like Evan Rachel Wood, I think she did a good job in the movie playing Madonna. Because, uh, you know, I think she does a pretty good job in which, with the stuff she's in. But uh, I laughed. I don't laugh super loud at movies, but, like, I, I chuckled at this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... And I guess like, Sam Rockwell, I was really hoping, because I watched him back-to-back, was going to be, like... Wow, this is so much better than Weird Al, which was going to make me say some negative things about Weird Al. But Weird Al actually, Weird ended up being better, I think. There were some parts where I, like, I did generally laugh out loud. The part where Will Forte is yelling at Weird Al, the character, where mm-hmm. Weird Al, the actor, is sitting right next to him. Oh, yeah. The stuff in the office with Weird Al, was, um, the real Weird Al, was just the, the bit where. Um, Weird Al was claiming that he wrote Eat It and it's a completely original song. Yeah, that was pretty good too. To the point where my wife was like, wait, isn't that a parody? I'm like, yes, it's a parody. This is a, a, a joke in the movie. Right. <laughs> um, 
so there were parts that like did make me laugh, but I also I found it a lot more like in my head. Oh, I like I get that joke versus actually laughing. Like for example, the scene where they perform live for the first time. Yeah, it's played like literally every other biopic. Right, like you get up on stage and you're nervous, and there's feedback from the microphone. Oh yeah, and the crowd gets rowdy, and then they start playing, and it's like, holy shit, they're actually super amazing. Like we literally just saw this with Elvis earlier this year. It becomes um, kind of saw with Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, I guess that there's, there's a little bit of there's some cliche to it. I mean, I'm well, I mean, to- they were making they were making fun of the tropes, but. I feel like they were making fun of the tropes by just pointing out the tropes, and that wasn't necessarily like didn't like really make me laugh. I was like, "Oh, I got what you're doing." But then I was thinking about a movie like I think there's a natural comparison to Walk Hard, just because that is clearly like the best. Like I think it's like legit the best music biopic ever. Like I mean, I know it's a parody. It's um, another good parody music one is Pop Star. I was just thinking the Pop Star as well. You know, I mean, they, they do it very well where it's, it's, and this is kind of in that same vein, I guess. But what, what I was going to say with both those movies is that I think for me, both those movies have like grown over time mm-hmm. where it's kind of like an SNL skit where mm-hmm. like they become iconic kind of because they get played a lot yeah. and they become funnier because Lord Michaels will just play him over and over again. Not obviously for all of them. But for love, and I kind of feel the same way about this movie. Weird, where I feel like maybe if I watch it more, it'll become funnier over time. Like I think for me, Walk Hard became funnier over time, and Walk Hard also had the benefit of having really funny songs, which obviously Weird can't do because they use actual Weird Al songs. Yeah, that's very true. That is very, very, very true. And I definitely agree with what you are, uh, what you were saying. And those other movies, I think what's this movie should have made it easier was the fact that they had the songs already written. Where those other movies, they had to make up the songs for the movie, which is unique that those are actually better movies than Weird, because you would have thought. But I mean, I think like that's why people like Bohemian Rhapsody, not because. Oh my God! Why are you watching us live? <laughs> Thank you. Because we're good. We're good. I know. Some sorry. Someone commented. Yeah, I had to show you that somebody was commenting because it looks now it's cool that it shows right up here in the comment section. Uh, it'll show when comments pop up. Yeah. So Thank you, aspiring film guy. Yay! Um, Yay! Also, nobody should watch us live anyway. <laughs> Oh, um, God, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is the big time. I know. <laughs> but yeah, see, uh, all my weird quirks of me rubbing my beard. That see, there's a lot of quirks that before I came on tonight, I had to practice, and we're like, there's times where maybe I'll cuss out loud to myself. Now I have to pretend to be smiling at every moment. It's oh, okay. We don't get to anything. It's all. It's all fine. You know. <laughs> That's fine, and we can do all it's your fine. topics. We'll That's okay. We'll do it next week. But uh, I mean, sometimes like the, the, movie the thing about have been better, but it could have been worse. It's free on Roku. So it definitely is much better than it had any right to be. Yeah. But I also, I'm not going to rewatch it ever again on Roku because of the dumb commercials. 
Like that was a frustrating experience of this movie, which I know and the yeah. filmmakers didn't. Necess- I don't know if they like Roku bought it originally, but like it's always annoying watching commercials in the middle of a movie. Yeah, I know, but like when you're telling me it's free, what what can you what can you do really? You know, I, I mean, mean, you just you just movies go. are basically free to me right now, even though I, I, I know, pay for service. I know. I guess I grew up in a different. You're in that. I know what you're in. You're in like my wife, my sisters, everyone younger. See, where me, I still had a video where I would record the video movies off of TNT on a VHS <laughs> and have the commercials. But being that now we have all these streaming services, yeah, commercials are annoying. I definitely get it. But, but it's not It's not only that, like, clearly movies are meant to have commercials in them, right? Yeah. Well, no. No, well, not movies like that, but like, you know, Grindhouse, they had some cool commercials in the middle, like. But it didn't have it in the middle of the actual, like, not actual movie. Middle of the movies, no, no, no. They had them like in the middle of between each movie, but yeah, no, it's it's annoying. But I think it worked for Roku because I didn't think we were going to be able to get it. You were the one who pointed that out. Because honestly, I was like, I don't have that. I don't know. I'm going to get that. Yeah, but you I can download the app. It's the the catches commercials. Um, have you ever seen Weird Al live? Uh, no, I have not, but it's definitely something that I wish I would have. Uh, he he came to U of I when I was there, and it's it's a fun show, right? Like he dresses up, like yeah. for each song, um, like you know, for like like a surgeon, he'll dress up in the doctor gowns and stuff. He'll dress up like the Coolio character for Amish Paradise. It's a good show, and I think underrated, like about the actual Weird Al, is his band is I think actually very good, very good. Like they're really, and I know they played him as a joke for like his. They were just his roommates in the movie, they're but good. like in real life, his bandmates are excellent, Those, and Weird Al is an excellent musician in his own right. Which is made that's what's made the whole thing be able to flow so well is because he's got excellent musicians backing him up. He hasn't got like jokesters or idiots. Like these guys have been playing this stuff and he just got done with this tour, which honestly I have brought it up before. I wish I would have went, but he, no costumes, no nothing. It was just him and the band, like almost acoustic sitting on stools and doing a lot of the songs that aren't the big hits. And it was a huge weird. Out was playing his B sides. Yes, so like playing like all the songs that like more of the original ones he wrote, as opposed to like Fat and that. But you know, Weird Al is is I believe Weird Al is somebody who's like itched out a piece in, in history, and, and this movie is better, actually better than I thought it was going to be. Because come on now, when you saw Daniel Radcliffe was being taken on for this movie. I saw a lot of groans. I didn't see a lot of excitement. But now that you see the finished product, you're like, I get it. I get what they were doing. Yeah, like I saw the stills. Like, oh, here's first look at Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. I was like, this looks like Daniel Radcliffe with a fake wig. And like, that's kind of the point that they were going for. That's true. And then that's where I think that they did a very, very successfully in that way. Do you want to talk about Daniel Radcliffe's career? Because I don't have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if not really too much. I mean... When it comes down to his career, I mean, it's pretty basic. You know, you got... It's basically he did Harry Potter. He made all the money in the world. He still wants to act. He doesn't really care about being famous. Now, really quickly here, have you watched all of these Harry Potter movies? Yeah, multiple times. 
honestly, I've only watched them once. And I, I was in California visiting my friend, and he pretty much had to tie me to the chair to watch the movies. But I thought they were – actually, every movie we got done with, I said, man, I'm an idiot because I didn't watch these before. They're really a good movie, and he does a fine job in the movies, I think. You know, this yeah, he, is Prisoner of Azkaban, which has Gary Oldman, which is probably one I enjoy more than. Yeah, and that's directed by um, uh, Quran, Afonso Quran, where like at least you try to bring like legitimate director, like I'm an awesome director to these movies. I mean, in, in general, he doesn't. No, he doesn't like. That's why doing movies like this, he has been in a really incredible movie with our boy Paul Dano. Have you ever seen one? I I literally saw ten minutes of the movie and I had to turn it off. It's not really um, that incredible, and it's the Daniels their first, their movie before everything, everywhere, all at once. Swiss Army Man, where Radcliffe literally plays a corpse. <laughs> not not good in any way, shape, or form. Did not enjoy that. Um, now, and you go through it. A lot of his movies, pretty much. Some of them are straight to video. Some of them are not really successful. He did have one that I really quickly want to bring up. It was from 2016. It's called Imperium, where he goes undercover. And I know this is unbelievable with him, but he actually goes undercover as a skinhead. And it's super, super serious movie. And to see Tim pull the movie off into that role as a cop going undercover... I was quite shocked. Um, Tony Collette's in it. Um, Tracy Letts. But, I mean, besides that, I mean, not really in a whole lot. I mean. So, you know. so it looks like his last two movies are this and The Lost City, which I liked him in The Lost City. I still got to watch that, and I want to talk about it with you because, honestly, I'm pretty sure I remember you brought it up that it was really good. And it's on Amazon Prime, so. Yeah. But, uh, so at least he's, I guess, trying to go a little bit more mainstream. But I honestly, I think, you know, this was Robert Pattinson did the same thing too before the Batman. He just was working with more interesting directors. But of like, I don't really care what movie I'm in. I want to act. I have enough money in the world now. Let me yeah. try to do interesting things. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully he could keep up and be into that category where he can keep getting better. But Let's see, what's, I don't know if weird is really going to be the thing that alters him to that next level. But, but it's at least a little bit more mainstream. Like is. Roku promoted the hell out of this movie, right? Oh, yeah, they really did. Like if this like, movie was a success, then I don't know what they did wrong because I've seen it everywhere and yeah. people are interested in it. Um, I mean, they probably pre-sold the ad space or something. I don't know. I don't know what's considered success, but regardless, like the Lost City was like a, a studio film, and this is actually, you know, it's a streamer, but like it's heavily promoted. It's not like the what did you say, Imposter? The the movie, Imperium. Imperium. Yeah, no, you know, that movie was I believe a straight to like a lot of a couple of these movies. Like he was in one called Jungle. Like a lot of these movies were not theatrical releases. That Escape from Pretoria. I mean. This was Guns Akimbo. I mean, these movies were not theatrical releases. But that being said, you know, I don't know. I mean, he is in Now You See Me Too. That wasn't a huge success um, out of both of those movies. But that's a, that's like actually the anomaly in his career post 
um, Harry Potter, right? Where that was a studio film. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they, they definitely put money behind it because of the first one was moderately successful. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. It just didn't. I mean, have you, this movie's Kill Your Darlings. That was not terrible. It's got like Michael C. Hall, Ben Foster, Dane DeHaan, um, Jack Houston. But again, these are just movies that are, you could catch, but aren't really what I would call standout movies. But, as you said, and that's that's quite the cast, though. For it's a huge cast, a huge cast. I'm looking here at his yeah. television career. I mean, again, 2013. Um, I mean, again, his television career. But like, he does, yeah. Like, he is in this like show with Steve Buscemi. The um, oh, that's right, he is in that one. Miracle Workers. Yes, that is. But true. like. It was a, I think it was like a TBS show or something. Like, I, didn't really even heard of I don't it. think Daniel Radcliffe really cared. No, I mean, and I'm looking here. It's also a Lauren Michaels produced, executive produced show. So oh, whatever. And Jorma, and also what's his name? Jorma. Jorma Tacone. Yeah. So ironically, we stumble upon that. But uh, you know, I I think hopefully, like you said, this is bringing him to light. Maybe in some more things. He seems to be somebody, though, that also is one of somebody who maybe is he still getting typecast? I don't know. I I bet you he's not getting typecasted as much anymore at this point in his career. But I bet you he, he was like right after Harry Potter, right? Like, I bet oh. you yeah. that's why like he played a farting corpse. <laughs> but it's Paul Dano. Come on. He wanted to act with Paul Dano. That movie, though, is... As when I brought up we were doing this and I asked my wife what her favorite was and she said, not that weird movie with them farting corpse, I think is what she said. So it's, it's, and the movie is generally really, really weirdly stupid, but. Uh, I, I, I rented it. I paid money for it. Not that much because I rented it, but like I couldn't get past the first 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm not wasting my free night watching this dumb farting corpse movie. Now, before we move on to, to the next topic, I, I just had to drop my favorite television station right now, Showtime. Um, before coming on right now, your favorite movie was on Showtime, and I had to play it for 20 minutes. Um, it was uh, The Social Network. Amazing movie. Another movie, like kind of like uh, The Dark Knight, where I forget about how awesome it is until I'm actually sitting there watching it. Especially that whole part, which is what I walked in on, where they're in the de- what is that the deposition where they're going through how he signed the papers and he got screwed and oh at the end yeah really really awesome awesome movie but uh, that's my showtime drop and i thought i'd bring up your favorite movies on there so maybe that'll and michael shannon's got a new show coming on there uh later next month where he plays george jones and jessica chastain plays tammy wynette it looks pretty good six episodes I don't know who those people. Are. Time, well, look at the, look at the trailer. It'll make you want to get it. I mean, I know who those actors are. It's old country. It's old, famous, super famous oh. country people from the seventies. But they look pretty cool. And um, that being said, are we going? Jessica Chastain to... is playing another person named Tammy. Yes, she sure is. Can you believe it? What a shock! All right. Like I said, there were two other newish movies that got released: My Policeman and Don't Worry, Darling. We will discuss those on a separate episode. Because I have purposefully ignored multiple Tony topics 
and I feel bad. So I'm going to throw him a bone. Thank we you are, so much. We are finally going to discuss oh. some Tony oh. topics, some TTs. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Awesome. What are we going to here first? Ben finally. No, we're finally going to discuss car scenes. Oh, we're going to car scenes. Ooh. Oh, did you did you have Ben Affleck as the next slide? No, I got it. I, what's cool here is you can manually, I got it to where we need to. Uh... All right. Favorite car scenes. Very cool. Okay. So did you mean car chases or just no, scenes that involve scenes a car? in a car. So like the second picture here, I always think about uh, really quickly here. So... Um, I think of this scene right here. There's more to this than I thought, Charlie. It's just because they're in the back seat of the car. And for some reason, I always imagine when they when they when they bring up this movie, I think of this scene. So I mean it's not all, it's something personally to your head, possibly. Okay, so that's what I thought. It doesn't have to be like bullet where it's a super famous car scene. It's just Yeah, I I had I had bullet and French connection written down because I think you those are the, those. You got to mention those. Yeah, those are the two most famous like car scenes in movie history, car chases rather, in movie history. But because I didn't think you were doing that, here's a couple that I had. So, at the beginning of Goodwill Hunting, the four friends are hanging out in a car right oh. before they go, right before Matt Damon gets arrested because they they fight some randos, and I love that scene for a couple of reasons. Because one. They're eating. Uh, they just got picked up sandwiches from a place called Kelly's, which I was born in Boston. I have a bunch of family in the Boston area. And Kelly's is like my favorite restaurant out there. They make like a, an amazing um, lobster roll. I'm trying to think like, I think the, the most equivalent would be like Kuma's Corner for Chicago, okay. where they have like a couple locations I think their burgers are incredible, um, but they, they are technically a franchise, but like not really. They're not like McDonald's or anything. So not only are they they eating Kelly's, but they're just kind of like shooting the shit. And I think obviously I think they were all friends in real life, so like it wasn't that hard to do. But now I'm just kind of talking, and uh, Ben Affleck. I think was like he put Casey Affleck sandwich on the. Um, dashboard and it's like i'll put your sandwich on lie away and when you have the money to pay me it's my horrible boston accent i'm gonna stop doing you know considering how much my mom would always her boston accent would always come back whenever she's talking with her siblings mm -hmm. i do a horrible boston accent <laughs> um but it also just reminded me like when i was in high school and you know like the last couple years of high school where one of your friends has a car you know my friend group a lot of times it was me and you just drive around and do nothing. Mm. Uh, we went to IHOP a lot because they were always open late. We would just wander around Jewel because they were open late. And like we didn't do anything. And that scene kind of just reminded me of just like, hey, there's friends being friends and just chilling in a car. I mean, that's generally, I mean, that scene, that whole scene you brought up, I remember, I mean, watching that for the first time. And that's a classic example of a good scene like in a car, you know, I mean, even something for me as simple as there's a couple scenes like in Boogie Nights where Philip Seymour Hoffman's crying in the car because I'm so fucking stupid. I'm so stupid. Just the whole car in general 
um, that he gets the car, that Wahlberg gets the car, that gets it gets. By the way, he's all drunk out at the end, and it's going down the hill or whatever, and he's got to try to jump in it. There's a lot about it in that movie about that car. Speaking of Boogie Nights, did that pool scene in Weird? That was supposed to be like a Boogie Nights esque scene, right? Did that give you Boogie Nights where? Oh yes, um, yes. We're in the pool. Yes, 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 yes. It did give me those vibes in that scene. Yes, yes, it did. Um, you got, of course, I think Drive is amazing with Ryan Gosling. I mean, the way the music is set to some of the car scenes in that movie. Now, you've I never mean, really, do you like that movie? You never really, I don't really think love that movie. Okay. Love Drive. The soundtrack in Drive is incredible. Like, Drive is basically just a vibe that soundtrack makes that movie. Sure but, does. Yeah. Excellent. It really does. The Conscious. soundtrack really does make the movie. I mean, speaking of another heist-driving movie where the soundtrack makes it is Baby Driver. Of course. That I mean, first scene with the bell-bottom song. I mean, you, of course, can't... I mean, Back to the Future, huge car. I mean, you just There's a car in Back to the Future? Uh, in some of it. In some of it. Actually, in most of it. Delma and Louise. The ending where they're going over the... Now, did you ever watch that movie before? Yeah, so I actually saw it for the first time, like within the since the pandemic started. I have never movie. sat down and watched that movie all the way through. So you, you just saw parts on again. TV. You got me. Yes, just parts on TV, and I don't know. It's something that I probably would like a lot. Um, you definitely got to go with some of your favorite movies. Uh, the well, the Batman, the Batman movies. Every one of those movies got a real cool bat car, bat vehicle. Um, the last Mad every Mad Max movie's got really cool car scenes. A big one is Tarantino. I mean, every movie I seem to go through Tarantino in my head. Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, True Romance, um, Reservoir Dogs—they all got pretty classic car scenes. I mean, Death Proof. Death Proof is the whole movie is a car. Um, you know, I think. But, like, I'm trying to think of more recent movies that got awesome car scenes. I mean, Baby Driver definitely. So there's um, a trope in movies where if you're chilling in a car, just kind of having a conversation, that scene is going to end with you getting into a car accident. (laughs) Um, The one that, like, came to mind was uh, Whiplash. Okay. Where... Yeah, where um, you, like, he goes all over. Yeah, Miles, Miles Teller is... You know, he needs to get his sticks and he's late and then, you know, gets to a car crash. And then that also made me think of Boyhood, the Linklater film, yeah. because that's an entire film where he subverts our tropes. So really nothing happens, but it is also kind of interesting because you expect something bad to happen. That's like true. when people like they're driving in a car, you just expect, oh, my God, they're going to crash and nothing happens. There's a scene where like kids are playing with a nail gun in an empty bar, and like, oh my god, he's gonna shoot one of these kids in the eye, and nothing happens. Like it's that type of movie where it also can come across as like pretty boring, but I do like how I think Linklater was um, purposefully subverting our tropes in the scenes in a lot of these those scenes. That's true. I definitely agree with that. Um, Wayne's World. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, they're just chilling, just playing Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, honestly, that whole 
I mean, that pretty much that was that was huge. I also have the Italian job with the Mini Coopers. Well, that was a great. That was another uh, kind of falls a little bit under the the rate. I mean, it's a pretty popular movie, but under the radar a little bit. Edward Norton's pretty cool in that movie. Uh, Blues Brothers has a pretty epic, fun car crash scene. I did have that one on my list. Very, very awesome. In terms of just characters chilling in cars, I'm pretty sure All About Eve has um, a really good car conversation. Um, I don't remember specifically too much, but there's a point where I think Eve and the... Probably should have had All About Eve. Who's Ann Baxter? What's her character's name? Oh, oh, and Ann Baxter's Eve. Betty Davis is Margot. Uh-huh. Oh, Betty, da- yeah, because right, Margot. Betty Davis is the the older actress. Margot, like, driving with Ann Baxter. Like, pretty sure. You know what? I should watch the movie, and I like the movie. I don't remember <laughs> the specifics, but it has a good. I remember really enjoying the car riding scene. Um, Collateral has a really awesome car scene with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise is in the car. Um, All movies, them chilling in a car? Just just chilling. Um, another really good one is, where was it at here? I just had it here. I Best like, uh, I mean, they're like not real cars, but. I know. They're, that's, 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 I kind of liked the Ed Helms vacation movie. I love, honestly, this may be a hot take. I love that movie a lot. I think it's really funny. It's really honestly, it's I'm so, a huge fan of all the vacation movies and it really holds up. It's do you know good. the the joke, the running joke in the Ed Helms movie where the younger brother is beating up on the older brother? Mm-hmm. So I think of that all the time. I have two kids, one literally just turned two, and the other is oldest is five. Mm-hmm. Now the one the the little one, obviously he doesn't know what he's doing. And so he'll just come up and like sort of hit you, because <laughs> like he just wants to play, mm. like a, an aggressive dog almost. But like my my oldest son will like take that personally, like oh he hit me and start crying. I'm like, you are older than him. Just like what are you doing, kid? Either walk away or you can. Well, like so he'll also get in trouble if like he, he he's too rough with his with his brother, but like. Well, I, I know I, my, my two-year-old daughter yesterday, I said, hand me the child changer. She threw it like Michael Kopeck at me. <laughs> it literally almost bounced off my head. And you just got to be like, come on now. I said, hand it to me. You got to be like, shit. but like, I also understand, you know, when you're the oldest, you're like trying to also understand this little sibling that you have going around. So I bet that's, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, my favorite car scene, one of my favorites, is the end of Chinatown. Um, the whole thing takes place in the car and pretty much in the outside, and there's a in the car and they get out of the car and all of that. I really like that movie a lot. Um, I'm like, I, I've seen Chinatown a bunch of times. I'm trying to think of them in the car. It's at the end where she goes and they're stopped or whatever, and he pulls her out, and that's when they do the whole famous scene or whatever but but like she's pulled from the car and then they're they're just arguing around the car is the whole entire like final scene and honestly i talk about that movie probably a lot more if uh well it's it's a good movie i like that movie do you like uh little miss sunshine 
I do like Little Miss Sunshine a lot. That movie was actually brought to my attention by my wife and that whole scene where they're... Oh, what am I asking? It's got Paul Dano in it. Of course you like it. And honestly, I didn't even think of that. I always, uh, actually, when that movie's brought up, I always think of Alan Arkin for some reason. I know why. Because he well, because he won the Oscar for it. But like also, because I think he... I also like Tiny Collette, though. She's pretty good in it, too. I think everyone in that movie is everyone, great. Everyone's an awesome. Greg Kinnear is another, I think, is good in a lot of different movies. Um, but that's a good car scene that I didn't think of. Um, you know, of course, Gone in 60 Seconds, Fast and the Furious. Ooh, it says I like the original Fast and the Furious when it was just about streetcar racing well yeah that first one was pretty pretty classic um I, but like now they've basically just become superhero movies they have well like, because they have to stretch what's the word i'm saying like stretch it stretch that universe into making you know all the stupid action and stuff like that that isn't really that isn't really necessary so to speak but uh the other thing I was going to bring up was um, Days of Confused has got a good scene in the car. That's pretty much a lot. The whole movie is pretty much a lot of it is in cars. Um, what was the one I just saw here that was interesting? Oh, that's right. Training Day. That's a good one. I didn't know you liked to get wet. <laughs> one of the greatest lines in movie history. Um, the King Kong line or the wet line? The wet line. The wet line, the King Kong line is, well, that's an all right line. But just that whole scene, because, I mean, I remember going opening weekend to see that movie. And, man, I left that movie theater and was like, this movie is so awesome. No, I still think the movie is awesome. But that night I left the movie thinking it was, like, one of the coolest movies I'd ever seen. Um, I love how when Ethan Hawke talks about that movie, he's like, I'm working with A-plus Denzel I need to up my game. And like Ethan Hawke is like excellent in that movie as well. Yes. And hearing him talk about it, it's because like, oh shit, I gotta go toe to toe with Denzel, who literally won an Oscar, ended up winning an Oscar for this performance. And it, it got Hawke um, a, a nomination. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was I was I was quite impressed with him in that movie. And I think that's kind of started him. Not that he was bad at all, but it seems like he's getting better as he is making movies from what I from what I see for the most part. All right. You've had this topic in your notebook for weeks. What else you got? Just lay it all out. All right here. We got now. Let's move on to favorite wardrobes in movies. Oh, I got this one on my phone. All right. Favorite wardrobes in movies. I don't know. When I thought about this topic. This movie is the movie that I thought about first here. Let me put it down here. Dangerous Liaisons. As you think about, honestly, if me and you were actors and we were in this movie, how, I don't want to say, it would be fun, I think, to dress up like this and act. Like, when you talked about Virginia Woolf, to be able to, like, act in a room, but with these costumes on, it even adds to more of a, a level of... Um, of that uh, part of the reason that i didn't gravitate towards those types of movies for this list is because at the academy awards it feels like oscar bait for costume design 
Like if you're you ever this, you and this, you and this I, I love your term Oscar, but I'm gonna come. We're gonna do a whole segment where I, I didn't create it. That was definitely. Oh, no, I know, no, I know. You're you're not wrong. But like for I, mean, I see what you're saying. It's not like a and long. I don't mean to dismiss like you are supposed to be period accurate, right? Like mm-hmm. you should be period accurate if you're making those type of period pieces. But for some reason, especially recently, and by recently I mean the past like 20, 25 years, where it's like if you want to like if you're like doing an oscar poll or whatever like just mm-hmm. prediction predict the movie that's like in terms of like like victorian shakespearean era because that movie for some reason always wins best costume design and i well, don't understand it well what i think is is i think what ended up happening is is that a precedent was set by movies like dangerous liaisons which i'm looking at it and you're saying like that movie's made in the 80s but it doesn't look like it's made in the 80s. But now, if you look at those movies you're talking about that are getting Oscar, they look like they're shot on digital camera and it doesn't give that same feel. But what has happened is, is like you said, there is a, um, a, a math problem that they put together that they know is successful. All you got to do is have a movie like Little Women or something like that and have the period pieces and you know it's Oscar, you know it's... It's it's going to get nominated. Like it just it feels like Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan. You know what I mean? It, that's 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 bad. But like you also know in your head, and you and maybe you know maybe you'll disagree. You, you know that Glenn Close is a way better actress than Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, of course. So, but like, why is it that that movie got one and she was nominated so much? I I don't know. I mean, do you want to know the actual reason why Shakespeare in Love got all those wins? Yes, please. Harvey Weinstein was an asshole and like just ran around, like ran a a quote unquote great campaign for the movie and was doing his best to shit on um, Saving Private Ryan. So much looking back at it now that you're talking about it, and we'll hint on that maybe more at a later date. But that movie definitely saving private Ryan should have taken taken the cake by by not a little bit. By a lot of of saving private Ryan obviously should have won the Oscar for Best Picture that way. And Spielberg, I feel like he won Best Director that year, but you know, I you know, but that being said. It was kind of like recently we went over the list. What was it? Was our last list that we went over? It was posted that day, and then we made it a topic. Oh, it was in Rolling Stone. It was the best television shows that we went through. It. It was like they said it. I got the actual Rolling Stone copy from the library, and at the bottom, which it wasn't online, it actually has a list of all the people that were involved in picking it, and they're like respectable people. So like yeah, my my favorite it. television critic of all time, his name is Alan Seppenwall, mm-hmm. writes for Rolling Stone. I'm talking about they ask like people like Brian Cranston, like the people that oh. you're picking for those lists aren't. It's more of like famous people, so like the lists are are, are biased in that regard. But I mean, but I guarantee you, Alan, like I I love Alan Seppenwall. I don't always agree with him, but he's super smart. And when I read those like first 20, I was like, this is Alvin Seppenwall heavy. Well, you go and you could say you could switch away out of that like period of pieces of what we were talking about. And like, like Gladiator, that's another different period. It's not quite that period, but it's a different period. 
But to go into do all of that, would you call that Oscar? Well, kind of. It is kind of Oscar Beatty, but not really. Um, sort of. I mean, the last duel was trying to do that and didn't get nominated. So there was a time where it was considered Oscar. It's a good movie. Um, What's weird with the term Oscar bait is like, I do think Gladiator is kind of Oscar bait, and that's kind of not what I mean by it. It's because I mainly mean it in a pejorative sense. You know, you got Royal Tenenbaums. I think the... The um, The Ben Stiller tracksuits. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all of Wes Anderson, just the style in his movies is offsetting to what normally would be what people wear in a movie. Um, You know, The Revenant was another one that I had. I mean, that's not really. I mean, what the heck were they wearing out there? Were those like potato sacks, even? But like, I think it won best. I think it won best. Kill the animals. Make a nice suit. Make a nice suit. But you know, that being said, which uh, by the way, like my Ray Finkel shirt. I don't even know who that is. uh, Ace Ventura laces out, Dan. Oh, you ever see Ace Ventura? No, long time ago. Oh, sound like my wife when I came out and I was wearing it, and she's like, "What team is he from?" And I'm like, "It's a movie." But I have um, I went to the Alamo Draft House in Austin mm-hmm. when I went down there to one of them, and I got a really nice shirt that says, um, "Like watch more movies or something," mm-hmm. but it does not fit me that well. <laughs> and I was like, "I'm gonna wear something that's just comfortable for me." That's, and that's, I even had to change my shirt because my friggin' baby was playing with him and he was like, spit on me. <laughs> it's like, this is what I mean. This is why I hate video. <laughs> Gotta be respectable. Well, I think we're about, this is tonight is about as respectable as they're ever going to get from us. We may be get less respectable after tonight. But that being said, um, you know, again, Coen Brothers movies mentioned is a good one for costumes costume design um i brought up earlier when we started this i brought up just what they wear in raising arizona i mean nicholas cage i mean a costume is technically your hair too i mean that's technically part of your costume so ridiculous hairstyles should be part of it why not oh my we're gonna i don't want to like even tease what we're talking about next week but i mean speaking of how what's her name holly hunter Yes. Oh my god. We're gonna talk about a movie where she has a horrific hairstyle in it. There is uh yes, yes, I know where you are you're going with this. Yes. Okay. Um here's what I had for best costume design. All right, let's hear it. Um first place I went to is uh sci-fi films. Mm. So if you're creating like a whole new world, like you need to have a co- like really great costume designs that go along with it. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, like, not only what makes Star Wars special was Lucas's vision, but he literally had everyone around him at the top of their game, and that included the the his wardrobe department. Like the, the iconic look of the stormtroopers, oh, was like that's created out of thin air. I mean, obviously, it's it's like based off of like Nazi Germany, but like the specific look of them. The the Jedi with their robes, you know, obviously it's based upon um, samurai movies, but still, Star Wars has such an iconic look to their wardrobe, and that's all created from, you know, a lot of it's really based on that first movie, and a lot of it's based on the costume design. 
Um, and I, that same concept, I think, goes along with Fury Road and the Dark Knight, mm. where these are like, not only like are these big blockbuster, huge movies, but I think they have a lot of people at the top of their game outside of the director. I mean, the look of Fury Road, it's actually a film I don't quite care for, but it's hard to argue that like, it's like one of the best movies of the past 20 years, right? It's pretty like, good. It's, good it's, it's so well made. The production design, I mean, speaking of car chases, and the look that those people wear that you really feel like, oh, this is a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, to a lesser extent, The Dark Knight, like the Joker's iconic purple suit, and they talk about the functionality of uh, the Batman neck. Um, got a shout out little stuff for the ladies, the iconic little black dress at Breakfast at Tiffany's. Ooh, yes, that's a classic, and uh, the iconic look in Clueless. That yes. uh, Cher Horowitz, you know, that iconic, that first, I bet you people can picture like that plaid skirt jacket combination that like she first wears at the beginning of the movie. It's in my head. It's my introduction to Paul Rudd, too. He was, that was his first movie I saw. The only part of the movie that has not aged well is um, <laughs> dating your stepbrother. Yes, no, that, that, but, but you're also saying to yourself in the Day of the Dragons, you know, you got. Okay, but Intest is like overtly weird in that world too. I know it's it's really kind of just weird. The, the thing is, is that like obviously there's no blood relation between the um who's the fucking actress who plays Cher Alicia Silverstone. There's like no blood relation between her and, and Paul Red's character, but it's still it's weird. It was it was like weird like rewatching that movie. Because they play up the big pack, they they play up the fact that Rudd is still a stepson of uh, Dan Haida. No, you're absolutely right. But regardless, the some iconic fashion looks in that movie. This is one of my favorite uh, iconic fashion looks, and you brought it up for the car chase scene in the movie. We got some Blues Brothers. I mean, I mean speaking of suits, I, I wrote down um, Reservoir Dogs. Ooh, Reservoir Dogs. That's cool. Another, you know, movie that made iconic, or the black suit and tie iconic. Definitely is something that uh, would I would put in my list. That's a good one. I also put Kill Bill, that yellow tracksuit that Uma Thurman wears. Oh, yeah, that's... You can't forget that. You can't forget Uma. Never, never forget Uma. You're not We're just talking about Ethan Hawke. So don't forget Uma as well. Yes, that's true. We're talking about you. Are they still married? No, they are not. They've been divorced oh. for quite a quite some time. Okay, that's a shame. I even think, I, from what I've gathered, I, this could be from what I remember. Tarantino was going to fight Ethan Hawke because I think Ethan Hawke had some infidelities, and that's what led to the end of the thing. And Tarantino's a big Uma fan, as you know, so he was going to come to her defense. But even guest Uma's daughter in his last movie. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's weird how much Maya Hawk looks like Uma Thurman. It should be, it should be that weird. It's literally her offspring, but yeah, I mean, generally, that's how it kind of works sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. But uh, yeah, you got any more in that one? I got a bunch more. 
All right. So we on. had this. I think you first proposed this topic when we were watching Blonde, mm-hmm. the Anna Armas movie. Now, obviously, Marilyn Monroe had some pretty iconic outfits in the movies. The um, gentlemen prefer blondes. That's the movie. Oh no, that's where she's wearing the the dress and the big necklace and the dancing, right? Gentlemen yes. prefer blondes. I wrote something like it up, but I can't remember what she wears in that movie. What's isn't the it, movie where she has the pink dress? Maybe. What's the one where she's over the the grate and she wears the white dress? Ooh, you're gonna get me on my Marilyn Monroe. I'm not too familiar. Regardless, that movie. <laughs> that movie. Um, Black Panther, kind of going along the lines of the Star Wars route esque, or a lot of you know the Afrofuturism look in that movie is um, pretty cool. The how old were you in 1999 when The Matrix came out? I was two things really quick. I was 17. Okay, so you were in high school. How how many how many white kids showed up in like black dusters? Oh, you know a lot. Movie. You know a lot. And dark sunglasses. And I'll also always remember me and my buddy are in like the back row of those front seats and we're sitting there. And I'll never forget there were two couple. It was like not a huge, uh, not a lot of people in the theater for the showing. There were two sets of couples sitting apart from each other in front of us. In the middle of this movie, these two guys get into a fist fight. One guy. <laughs> One guy grabs the garbage can and throws it into the aisle. Next thing you know, all four of them leave. And it was like in the middle of fighting in the movie, it was almost like it was staged. But that being said, uh, those dusters and people trying to act like Neo, it was really too much. Um, That's the one thing I guess I'm proud of myself for. Like even the Marilyn Manson stuff, people would just all of a sudden show up and they got their nails painted and and it's like, you changed over this? Um, I remember towards the end of high school, I was trying to like buy Aeropostale and American Eagle and look really proper. And I dropped my rock shirts and all of that. But yeah, no, I, I remember like, in high school begging my parents to buy me like a $70, um, Abercrombie and Fit shirt. Yeah, and they, they, I understand now smartly said no, but I was like, I just want to be like the cool kids. I could never fit into the Amber Crombie stuff because I was I mean, neither too can I, tall too. or I was too, and it would only go like it would look like a belly buster, which is still <laughs> my problem for being too tall. So like I have to wear like extra larges. But uh, that being said, ridiculous. Um, the gingham dress and red shoes that Dorothy wears in The Wizard of Oz. That's perfect. Um. Singing in the Rain, and then, you know, La La Land based its costume design on Singing in the Rain. Those, like, oh. bright dresses. That's an excellent costume design. And yeah. uh, the iconic greaser look in Greece. That John Travolta, you know, just the... And also, to an extent, um, James Dean as well. You know, just the t-shirt and jeans. Just a t-shirt and jeans. The stuff. This, which have has led to 25 years to if I've ever seen someone in a, just a white shirt and jeans, I go, "What are you, James Dean?" Um, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. But it, hey, what's that? How does that Taylor Swift song got that blue jean, James Dean look in your eye, or something like that? That was one of the coolest things. Uh, me and my wife went to his hometown, and he's bare. I mean. He's buried in just some small, random Indiana town with the smallest tombstone you've ever seen. 
And it's just so crazy that this guy came from this small town, went to Hollywood, made three movies, and that was about it. I have never seen a James Dean movie. Um, Giant, which is the last one, it has like uh, Elizabeth Taylor, who we talked about earlier in Rock Hudson. Who's that Elizabeth one? Taylor? What? Who's Elizabeth uh, Taylor? Uh, I think she owns the Cleveland Indians. No, Guardians. <laughs> I messed that up. I didn't even say the right name of the team. Well, no, it's it's Indians in the in the movie. So. That is true. That is true. That is true. What else you got? That's it. That's all That's I got it. for it. All right. To be honest, there's obviously so much more. But like when I do my research, I like write down like 10 things and then I'm like, I don't want to do any more research. I know that's pretty much how it is sometimes. That's why these specific topics, it was the first time I accidentally wrote more stuff. So what would you like to talk about now? Let's do uh, posters. All right, posters. Yes. This would be, you know, I probably should have sent you... My list of posters. Well, what we could do from now on is honestly, if you're even um, hip to the Google Slides, you can make your you can make slides too and send them to me, and I can pull them up. Um, but uh, yeah, favorite film posters of all time. But also, like, I feel like if these posters are truly as iconic, you should be able to see them when I explain them in your head. Like, if you're listening to this, which almost That's everyone true. is, that would have been that would have been. Good, but so let's you want to go back and forth. We can go back and forth, yes. All right, the first one I have is uh Pulp Fiction with Uma Thurman chilling there on the on the bed and it's got the names on the side. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, I remember having like oh, my buddy had the in high school, like a railroad size huge poster of that. That is that is it. Oh, wait, hold on. Say your next one. I'm going to go show you that poster. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. My first one is Alien, the very first Alien, where it's got the cool alien. Um, I, think, I think I got a picture here, even. It's right here in the front here. It's got the cool egg, and it's got the alien title right there. I like that. Real sharp. Um, really cool is it's subtly simple it is oh and this is the pulp fiction poster look at this a live show and tell right here very cool which i know you have spoken a lot you have a lot of cool memorable look at that that is with all the names of the the actors right there on the side yeah it's um uma thurman just sitting on the bed smoking a cigarette got in front of her giant yellow light pulp fiction I think that is really, um, well, that's a classic. Um, Alien is what I picked for my next one with the cool egg on the front of it. And um, what are you doing next for your next? All right. Speaking of 1994, I'm going with Shawshank Redemption. That it's just the still of uh, Andy Dufresne shirtless in the rain. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, that movie pretty much, that poster pretty much, once you see the movie, it sums up the uh, whole entire, the whole entire film. Um, I'm going Jaws with the red letters and then the shark coming right up. And for it being in this, I just like the way it, like, it's almost like, it's kind of like drawn on there. It's obviously not the shark from the movie. 
Um, it would have been cool in the movie if they were able to get that that shot of the shark coming up like that, but uh, no can do. Yeah, I had that on my list. That's the girl swimming on top. Yeah, that is a, a classic. Um, I feel like this is very big in colleges. My college roommate had one, uh, Train Spotting. Yeah, Train Spotting is a huge poster that a lot of people had that I remember in college too. Um. Danny Boyle film. It had the. Um, is it? I don't know if this actually is Ewan McGregor on the poster. I think it maybe is. But it, it, is. it also had this the speech of like his famous monologue at the beginning of Choose Life. Yeah, that's where I was actually going to read off was the whole thing at the top of the poster. Do it, read it off. Uh, where are we at here? It's that movie though. Again, the poster with the colors. It definitely is um, one that I think definitely needs to be talked about. Here it is right here. It says, choose life, choose a job, choose a starter home, choose dental insurance, leisure, matching luggage, choose your future. But why would anyone want to be a, do a thing like that? Yeah, and it's got Ewan McGregor drugged up on the front with the Yeah, it's got orange. Ewan McGregor, Robert Carlyle. It's got what was her name? She was awesome in Boardwalk Empire. She was the head. Gretchen coach. Mall? Uh no, the other one, the Irish accent. Kelly McDonald? Yeah, she's the girl in the movie. You know, <laughs> I should have known she's the the Irish yeah. accent. Like I don't know why I went to I don't know why I went to the American first. Gretchen, you didn't know why you went to Gretchen Mole. But uh that movie though, definitely an iconic, an iconic poster for that one. Um the next one that I have picked up here is the um, Silence of the Lambs, where you have like it's like the white silhouette face of I guess Jodie Foster, and then it's a picture of the moth over her mouth, and then the no, moth- it's it's uh, I don't think it's I think it's just an actress, right? Is it just an actress? That's why I'm looking at it, but I didn't. It, it looks just like a white. It doesn't really. It, it has I the famous. It was, this was the, the butterfly. Movie. Oh, maybe it's Jodie Foster, to be honest with you. The very first time of me thinking of Jodie Foster is on this broadcast, I've always thought it was just a white, plain face. So I'm guessing it's more that. But Honestly, um, I never noticed it, but obviously it makes a lot of sense. You're right. I think that is Jodie Foster's face. But the moth over her mouth is pretty iconic. I had that written down. Um, I'm going the black and white Scarface poster. Oh, yes. That is. uh, You know, it's just a silhouette of... um, Pacino with uh, black on one side and white on the other. That is iconic. Um, One of my favorites is The Thing, where you have the guy's snowsuit and the light is just shining out of his his face. I think that is really, really cool because that's not even in the movie at all, but it kind of showcases what this movie is about. A faceless monster. A faceless monster, something into the snowy white abyss. Um, you mentioned earlier, but go on. Uh, you, it's your turn. I don't know. I was going to speak. I was going to say you mentioned earlier the Social Network. That's the Zucker, the um, what's his face is Zuckerberg, and it's like you don't get to five hundred million friends without making a few enemies. That's true. That was a that was an excellent Eisenberg's um, face. Eisenberg. What did you, you said something else at first? I said Zuckerberg. You did. Eisenberg, I was like, Zuckerberg. You did. 
Um, um, can I ask you something? Yeah. How old were, were you after out of college by the time you got Facebook a Facebook account? Was I out of college? Yes, I was out of college, but like it was, it was the very beginning because honestly, the uh, social network was the very first movie I went and seen with my wife. And that was like 12 years ago when it came out. It came out in 2010. So yeah, 12 years ago. So I know at that point I had already have had to have had it. But I know I, mean, I didn't at, have it for at no that point, point, I feel like everyone had an account. But like I hadn't had it though, like for more than three or four years. And I got out of college in like 2006. So no, I think it came to me after the fact. I think I was still in the um instant messenger a little bit in college. See, so Facebook was started at the end of 2004, and by the time I started college in 2005, it had already come to Illinois. Mm-hmm. So I was like, my first, like everyone, like it was new to everyone. Um, I remember I was hanging out with people over the summer, like, do you have a Facebook account? I'm like, what's Facebook? And I was like calling my college roommate. He's like, I'm trying to find you on Facebook. It's like, I guess I got to get a Facebook account. <laughs> I remember my first week of college, you know, I got there a little bit early before classes started and we found parties based upon Facebook. And one of the best parties I ever went to was some, was some dudes like birthday. He's just throwing a bash, um, Hispanic guy. There was, and we were the first to arrive. (laughs) It was like just meant for him and his friends, but we're like, Hey, can we hang? He's like, sure. Started pounding shots of tequila it's and it's like one well. of the best parties I ever went to, like because it was just four white dudes like randomly showed up. That's the sometimes those parties were were the best where you just kind of showed up and it was just like four or five other people and you and you're like hey hey and then you guys started drinking. But definitely, um, I also think that's part of the reason I like social network more than most because like I, I basically grew up with Facebook, so a movie about Facebook is like near and dear to me. It, it just but like that movie though, it's not like. You know, when you're talking about, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Virginia Woolf. I mean, that movie's a lot of just acting, too. But it's, yeah, but acting, it's good acting. But it's the acting to the subject that you enjoy. Which It's, is, also, it's also a lot subtler acting. If it was like MySpace, would you enjoy it as much? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean. It was the, about time. The, <laughs> the acting is not the same. Like, there are some screaming scenes. I will like you this way. I will give you Virginia Woolf, but later on, I want you to prepare yourself for the gloves for Revolutionary Road. That movie is really that's you got. Sam Bendis has a lot of good movies. You got to be prepared to defend it above a lot of good movies. You're right, but it's a really good movie. Um, but that being said, I definitely agree with the Social Network's poster as being. Yeah, let's right. get back to posters. It's right. an awesome poster. Um, I really enjoy a lot there. You brought it up earlier. What I was going to say is like the Star Wars posters. The All of them actually are cool in their own way. Even the newer ones were cool the way they looked. Now, I know the newer ones aren't going to be as iconic as that original first one where Leia's like, again, oddly holding Luke when that's her brother. She's holding his leg in the original mm-hmm. poster, which... When you look back at now, I don't know if they might have wanted to do something different. But all of those movies, like the Indiana Jones movies, anything big 
like that. Those posters are all iconic. You could talk about them forever. I mean, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock off the rest of mine, and then you can say the rest of yours. How about that? Go ahead. All right. So you mentioned before Chinatown. Uh-huh. I think it's got a really cool poster. It's got Jack Nicholson on the left side and smoke coming up, and you see a little like not even a silhouette of Faye Dunaway, just like her eyes, nose, and mouth. I think yes. it's a pretty cool iconic poster. Um, office space. It, I think it hurt it at the time. It's just a dude with post-it notes that says work sucks. Yeah. But I think it's because that movie's grown, that poster's grown. Um, Full Metal Jacket with just the logo. It's the white background, and it's got the, um, the hat, the, the hat, the helmet that says Born to Kill. Definitely. That's a good one. Um, American Beauty. Speaking of Sam Mendes, isn't that the Roses? Yes, is the rose on the stomach. That is a good one. And then the last one I have is the 40-year-old version of Steve Carell and making a weird smile. You um, know what? I think, I think that, kind of, that helped with it where, like, this guy looks like a virgin. I think that's the last poster we're going to cover because that's the ultimate poster. Yeah. I remember going down to Chicago. It was actually probably, I was... Oh, it was like 2003, and I had never really went to one of those big, huge theaters in Chicago. And I went, and they had, it had to have been a 70-foot Steve Carell, 40-year-old version. (laughs) And I had never really heard of the movie until then, but just him with that shirt. And then now, looking at the movie, it's incredible. It was an incredible rollout. It was an incredible promotion. It's a really incredible movie. Great poster. Um. Well, here we are. We have... Let's do uh, actors. uh, All right, here we go. Actors that are better maybe later in their careers here. Could be, could be not. Actor or actress getting better with age. Okay, so... This was like... I took this literally in the sense of like you could be like 30 now, but if you were like acting when you were 10... Yeah. I mean, it's what movies do you think they're like? When we talked about recently Tom Hanks, these actors would be the opposite. (laughs) Their movies are getting stronger as they're getting older. Now, you're not going to mention, I'm going to maybe start a fight, like someone like Paul Newman or Marlon Brando, who had good roles later, but who obviously had great roles earlier in their career as well, right? No. And I'm sure some of these, you might say that they had great movies as they were younger. It's more of like, are they getting? Okay, you know, some people should start. I should I do my hot take now or at the end? I think you should do your hot take right now. Let's get it started. Okay, my hot take right now is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio falls in this category. Ooh, actually, you know what? Not, I mean, it's a hot take, but I do believe he is getting better with age. So I my th- my three favorite DiCaprio performances, and granted. It, they're with the same two directors, which I think helped too. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Jordan Belfort and Wolf of Wall Street, um, Calvin Candy and Django Unchained, and um, uh, who's his character in Once Upon a Time? Oh, Rick Dalton. Thank you, Rick Dalton. Which I can't and, believe I got that like that. But thank yeah. you. I appreciate. It. Yeah. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it, you know I, they're basically his last three roles, not literally, but. The reason I think it's a hot take is because, you know, he, um, 
people really like him in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And people absolutely love him in Titanic. Now, the Titanic one, I don't know how much he's acting versus they like the script around him. And it's like a perfect vehicle for like young girls to love DiCaprio. That's true. But regardless, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not even saying like he was a bad actor early in his career. I just think that the movies I gravitate towards and especially the roles I gravitate towards with Leonardo DiCaprio are his later work. And I think part of it is that, I mean, it's like weird. Like I do think Quentin, like two of his three best roles are with Quentin Tarantino who can make literally everyone like the best actor in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you look at John Travolta's filmography after Pulp Fiction and it's kind of not great. And there may be a reason why he just <laughs> popped in Pulp Fiction and then petered off afterwards. You know, um, he was gone. like he was, you said Travolta, right? Yeah. He was gone. Like what's weird is that he petered off from like 84 to 94. He does Pulp Fiction. It's really good. And he gets something like Get Shorty and a couple things after, but like, Slowly, battlefield earth, really. I mean, just really quickly. I mean, obviously, someone like Samuel Jackson's an incredible actor, no matter what. Someone like Christoph Waltz is an incredible actor, no matter what. So, it's a little bit weird. Of like, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a really good actor, is going to be effing incredible in you know a Tarantino movie. But that being said, they're they're just they've come at the later end of his career, and you know. I like Leo as an actor a lot, but I think I like him a lot for like these later performances. Like I'm not revisiting the beach a whole lot. I'm not even revisiting gangs of New York a whole lot. I do like the departed. It's not the best DiCaprio performance per se, but someone who literally has his best credits at the end of his career to me is DiCaprio. No, you mean, you're, you're right. He is definitely somebody who is getting better, you know, with age or as has been, been, been better with so that, that was my hot take well wow, that was a that was a very 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 good hot take um you know i mean and what i mean by this is like a lot of actors like take for instance like i got on here like william h macy and giamatti they obviously when they were in their 20s they weren't really making any memorable roles it wasn't until they were getting older that their careers began to take off. So that's kind of how I was thinking in that way. But I also think like you could look at it like I still believe Yaqueen Phoenix and Ryan Gosling, they got their best roles in them still to make because they're younger and they're good actors. I mean, do you agree with that? Um, I'm trying to think. It's tough because I like early, I like a lot of early Joaquin. Gosling. It's weird because, like, I think he does qualify more, but I also do like some of his earlier work. So that's why, like I'm having trouble. But like, what I, I mean, it's more of like you like his newer stuff too. So my right, my right, but that's what I mean. It's like, like, do you think they're going to keep going up the ladder? Do you think they're going to plateau, or do you think the best has already been in front of them? I would say, if I had to guess, 40, I, don't, I mean, they're in their early forties. So Joaquin has an Oscar, not like a win already. And Gosling's got a handful of nominations. The thing is with Gosling is, and I don't mean this as a knock, he's got a very particular vibe to him. 
like that aloofness, which he's very smart in the movies he picks. And I like a whole bunch of movies, even though he's kind of aloof versus someone like Joaquin can play, I think, like almost anybody. Mm-hmm. So if you had to say their best days behind them, and I know that's not the question you ask, I would say more so for Gosling, but I mean, we'll see how Barbie turns out. Yeah, that's true. And we'll see how the Joker, the musical, turns out. Oh, yeah. It's just, um, all right. Someone who I, I literally did not know, like, acted early. Like, she's had a long career. But basically, I only know her as a respected elder actress is um, Helen Mirren. She's on my list. Yes. Perfect. Um, and someone kind of along the same extent is I feel like I only know her later work, not her early work. And, that's, and it's more TV, but Jean Smart. Yeah. Is still an excellent one. actress. Yeah. Um, you want me to say a couple? I got a whole bunch. I mean, I got, we'll go back and forth. I'll do a couple. You could do a couple. Okay. I mean, I got Laura Linney. She seems to be picking up more now than she Ooh. was when she was younger. What's I mean, I don't... Ozark is probably bigger than her role in Primal Fear, wouldn't you say? I'm trying to think. Yeah. I didn't really I like, know her back. I don't know. I don't know Lauren Lenny's career off of that top of my head. I mean, I'm just going by like from what you when did you start picking up on Lauren Lenny? Have you known about her for 25 years? Recently she was in her, uh, um it's more of like the personal zeitgeist. Uh, the thing that's so okay, I love her in like Mystic River, Love Actually, and Squid in the Whale. Yes. Um, that's probably like when I first You're right. She those are a little bit older, but I mean I guess. Some of these actors are like oh, Ozark is a huge role for her. Ozark is huger than those other movies. People, I know, but is she, is she better in Ozark than those? That's that's the second question that makes this a whole different question. Is 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 she better or is she getting more popular? I guess because like Brendan Gleeson, would he be somebody who's getting better? The thing is, like, I definitely has Brendan Gleeson been acting for a while because I only know of older Brendan Gleeson. But that's how that's my. I mean, but he's in Gangs in New York. That's now what almost twenty something years old. So I, mean, I was one of the one of the two videos we have on YouTube. Definitely uh, check it out. Is the um, Martin McDonough battle that we talked about with Mick? Yes, and uh, Gleeson's mate in Banshees of Inisherin and. In Bruges, I definitely think falls on this list is Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. But that, he's an excellent one, excellent, excellent. Where I mean, I think we even talked about it. Like you can watch in that clip of like he did a lot of garbage. Like I, th- I think he did a lot of bad movies. He did a lot of movies that didn't really fit to his skill set. And I think ever since in Bruges, he's like, oh shoot, this dude is like an amazing actor. That's true. It's very true. Like he'll probably get from like. He's at least in the conversation for Academy Award for Banshees. Yeah. I mean, just for everything I've heard, he is definitely doing good for that one. All right. You want to do a couple, couple more and then one on Ben Affleck? Yes. Let's do it. All right. So I have um, Kirsten Dunst. Good one. Who, I mean, part of that is like, I think she falls in line of like the Robert Pattinson. Daniel Radcliffe, where like she just did teeny movies, and then like when she actually started branching out and started working with like awesome directors, it's like oh, she can freaking act. Um, you know the 
McConaissance kind of came around because McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey did a whole bunch of like a decade of like bad rom-coms. That's true. Um, and then finally started doing good movies. But he also started off his career like he was in um, a view to it. What's it called? A, a Time to Kill? The, his... the one with Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, McConaughey. Yeah. and the yeah, Time a, to Kill? Time, I keep wanting to say a view to a kill, a time to kill. I'm pretty sure a view to kill is a Bond movie here. It is, it like is a, Bond. a Bond movie. A Bond movie. Um, and he did like Amistad. So, like, McConaughey did some good work early in his career, too. But, like, you would probably say is his, his better movies have came at least later. Like, yeah. literally, that McConaughey's. Um, I think Amanda Seafried's doing her best work right now, especially with Mank and the Dropout. Um, Obviously, getting her start in Mean Girls, and then kind of being in obscurity and kind of doing movies that nobody talked about. Now she has an Emmy. Um, Ben Affleck. I mean, we're going to talk about his movies. Ben Affleck, I think, is the guy who did like it wasn't a lot of junk, and is at least respected. Um, and then another guy we talked about, Ethan Hawke. Oh yeah. Ethan, Ethan, you mentioned him earlier. He's perfect. Yeah. Where, I, I mean, even in Dead Poet Society, he's good, but I do think he is getting better as he gets older. Like even, mm-hmm. even in something like Moon Knight, which is like a Marvel kind of not good piece, I think he's excellent in it. Yeah, he's definitely getting more. Even he's getting really good roles for himself too. So. I've never watched them, and I and I need to watch them. Are the Richard Link later movies, the After Sunset, Before Sunset? You ever watch any of those movies? Yeah, man, they're good. Are they? Yeah, I've heard good things. So like, you mean like Ethan Hawke has had some good performances earlier in his career too? But yeah, he's getting better. He's doing he's doing good stuff. You got any more? No, we can move on to the last of the last. All right. So, I mean, speaking of Ben Affleck. Right, you want to just talk about? Have you seen Live by Night? Yes, I sure have. Is it good? I really liked it a lot when really? I saw movie theater, and by mean a lot, I mean like really a lot. But um, I was shocked at actually how much I liked it. But you know me; sometimes there's movies that I enjoy that others don't. But if you like the town, Gone Baby Gone, and Argo, it kind of—I don't know—it fit with those is another good movie of his it just it just it came out to such bad reviews and like nobody talked about it and if they were talking about it they were shitting on it so i just like problem with shitting on affleck though quite a lot when the reality is is yes some of it is warranted but is all of it warranted i don't know so it's funny like i think this is a good segue before we talk about affleck as a director because he won an Oscar very early in his career, co-writing Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon. They've, I mean, Matt Damon has talked a lot about, I mean, you can find interviews. They basically, they wrote this because they wanted to get into movies. So it's like, okay, shoot, we're going to write something for ourselves. And since that time, Ben Affleck has probably, to put it nicely, starred in a lot of not so good movies and more not so good movies than good movies. That's true. And I think because of that, he got this reputation for the longest time that Matt and Matt Damon, on the other hand, was starring in more respectable and more enjoyable movies. So I think it got this reputation that Ben Affleck didn't write 
Goodwill Hunting. I mean, they always got that, like, because William Golding has a, a thanks by credit. You know, there's always that William Golding, Goldman, excuse me, not Golding, William Goldman actually wrote it. But I, there's like a Family Guy joke very early That's on. That's what I was going to bring up. The family like, guy joke we're, like, we're, we're, Ben, what do you think about this? And he's like snorting cocaine or something. Yeah, like little pot or something. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. And then eventually he had he starred in too many not so good movies and had the debacle, the I don't want to call it debacle, but like the tabloid thing with him and Jennifer Lopez, where then it got to the point where he was basically in Hollywood jail. Yeah. And to get out of it, he did he co-wrote God Maybe Gone? I know he at least directed it. Um, let me have it right. He probably has co-writing credit too, but he essentially, he comes back. He's like, I'm not even going to partially, I don't know who he would even play. I think Casey Affleck's really good in it. He co-wrote it. Yes. Co-wrote it. But Um, he's had a book. So yeah. Dennis Lane book. Yep. So he comes like, he's basically in Hollywood jail and then basically comes out with gone baby gone that he directs. And it's really freaking good. And it basically revives his career. That is true. And I absolutely, like, that is my personal favorite Affleck directed movie. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is like, because I have so much family in Boston, there's something about like certain Boston movies that I just absolutely love. And this felt like that Amy Ryan character is like so like scummy Boston in like the best possible way. Um Outside of the Michelle Monaghan performance, which I think is, I think she's like quite bad in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that movie is excellent. I love the gray area of are they doing the right thing with the kid at the end? Yeah. And I, I think Ben, like we talked recently about Clooney as a director, mm-hmm. and I, I still will stay by that is I don't think Clooney knows story very well. On the opposite hand, I think Affleck is quite good at it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've enjoyed every one of his movies. Now the levels of how good they all are, they're they're a little bit different. But those first three are definitely, you know, I'm a huge fan of Gone Baby Gone. I'm a huge fan of The Town. I like Argo quite a lot. You know, the thing about Argo is that Argo is like, I don't want to say it's like, it's not hardcore because I think The Town is pretty hardcore. Earlier I was somebody was describing it as a love story that there was more of that a is love not story. like the the plot line I would gravitate to for the town. <laughs> me at all. I mean and you know me, I mean like I but like there was a little bit of that in there, but you know, I don't know. I mean the scene where Jeremy Renner meets Rebecca Hall Ben Affleck for lunch is like a super tense, like really well directed scene where He's trying to, because Rebecca Hall knows Runner's tattoo. Yeah. There's like that, like hovering over that scene is like, is she going to find out Jeremy Renner? Yeah. Is here, like, find that tattoo. And um, I I like the town a lot. I don't, I feel like people love the town. And I just don't like it as much as I feel like a lot of people other. And I think some of it's like a me thing. Because I think it's really good. It's just. I wish I loved the town as much as I feel like everyone else loves the town. Well, I think the town has everything that you don't like about heat. The town, yeah, hundred percent. The town has it, so like that's why I sometimes I like heat, but I think the town 
is a lot less long and draggy and a lot more in your face. And, and more action-packed. Those... Yeah, and I think something about just knowing that Affleck is directing this movie makes it somewhere a little bit more, even for me. I, you know, it's kind of, it's cool. Um, Argo, I guess when we're talking about earlier, we were talking about wardrobe and costumes. Just his hair in, war, in that is different. And it's set in the 70s, though, so it gives off that 70s vibe, which I think he pulled off pretty well with the directing. Um, live by night he goes back with like a period piece not a lot of people you're right it was ripped it was ripped to shreds but uh yeah i I haven't seen it so i'm not gonna judge but it Um, it, it is like there's a lot of people let me pull because it's been a little bit since i've I've seen it but i've always wanted to revisit argo in this because i remember i mean that's a lot of brendan gleason and chris cooper are great actors who are in a lot of not so good movies yeah but but like, and I'm telling you that I I enjoy this movie. Okay, so what okay. you would have to do would be, and I would, and I'm totally for it. You would have to watch it to to tell me that I'm wrong. That's fine. I have I have no problem judging a movie based on actually seeing it. No, I like don't. I said, I, I've never seen it, so I'm not going to judge. I I don't know. But like you tell me that it has Brendan Gleeson and and Chris Cooper doesn't necessarily mean anything because. See, you would for me, like because Brendan Gleeson's in this new Irish in the Banshees, I've seen him in everything. If I've missed a movie he's been in and I like his performances, I'll watch it. That's how I watch movies. He's in this like Ryan Reynolds, like what I think it's called Safe House or something. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that wasn't very good movie. Um, But regardless, like that's a stupid, that's a stupid movie. I was surprised because like you know, everybody loves Essentially, Affleck's like first three movies. I was like surprised I got banned. I'm, I'm I was like, "Is it really that bad?" It's like seeing the well. This is what person. It's like seeing the ghost of a terrific movie. All the pieces are in place. Yet, as you're watching it or thinking back on it afterwards, there doesn't seem to be quite enough there. I mean, that seems to be a personal. I mean, I could have said that about weird. All the pieces are in place. Yet, as you're watching it, there doesn't seem to be quite enough there. I mean, you could say that about a lot of movies. Yeah. But anyway, I said, I always wanted to go back and revisit Argo because I remember really liking it at the time and it being one of my favorite movies of that year, especially mm-hmm. the second half of that movie. Yeah, like, Affleck does a really good job at tension, and that second half is, is quite tense. But I also wonder how much of my love of that movie was like, me getting pissed at the Oscars for screwing Ben Affleck out of a Best Director nomination. That's fair. Um, I've, I've only seen it once, and I, like I said, I remember quite liking it. But it's also, like, I feel like there are parts where it's like a middle, down-the-middle movie, which, Oscar bait-type movie, which I generally don't like. But sometimes they, they can work if they're well-directed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's shocking, though, that that, that because did Gone Baby Gone get any Oscar buzz? Amy Ryan got nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but I don't think it got anything like major above that. Like I don't think it was really ever going to be in contention for Best Picture, Best Director. But like you see some of the movies that are getting nominated today, you don't think it could be nominated today? Some of the movies. I mean, the movie I... landscape is like so much different now. You know, I know I mean? that's what I'm saying. 
I mean, they're nominated he, eight or nine or ten movies back then. It was he he co-wrote the last duel with Damon and that's Nicole Hofstetter. That's a really good. And movie. we we both really liked that movie. And it's like talking about Gladiator. So like, okay, like, take that movie for instance. Even that movie, it didn't. People didn't say, "Wow, this is an amazing movie." But you think it's a really good movie? I think it's a really good movie. I really like Gladiator. Sometimes people, the last duel. Some people they just missed it. I don't know. I don't get it. But that being said, you know his his movies. We watch Argo, and we'll uh, we'll revisit it. I have so many other movies I need to watch. Oh, you're... <laughs> I imagine like a closet opening and just movies just falling on you for how many you have to you have to watch. I'll I'll explain more in the next episode, but yes, and I'll. Uh... Wait till you receive your package and I send you all these dumb drives with a hundred movies on each one. Nice. And I'm like, this is... but uh all right. anything else you got? No, I let's end the show. All right, let's do it. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. You can follow my name is Adam. You can follow me on Twitter at Millennial Sex. And my name is Tony, and you can find me at the sugar bag. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter at the hookup on film. Right now, as of this recording, as I checked, we are eight followers away. Once we hit those 100 followers, we will be raffling off some hookup on film swag, a nice comfy t shirt, whatever size you want, and two movie tickets. Next date night, next boys' night is on us. If you send me or the hookup on film Twitter a DM, like, yo, put me in for the extra raffle. I will do that because thank you so much for listening and being a follower. Heck yeah. You can find us. This recording is on YouTube at youtube.com. Excuse me. It's youtube.com backslash at the hookup on film. We're going to be posting more. Our boy. I don't, I don't know, because his Twitter handle is now Aspire and Quibi Guy. Um, I don't want to give out his real name because I don't think he wants us to. But um, he's um, he's helping us out. He's going to take awesome clips from our show. He makes awesome videos from it. We will have more videos for your viewing pleasure. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Tony's doing an awesome job over on Instagram. Again, at the hookup on film. Make sure you follow us there. You can find our podcast at Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Yes, yes, yes. I think that is all the plugs. I think we got them all, my man. You can see these shows on YouTube. I don't recommend it. (laughs) I think it actually was really good. Way better than I anticipated. I'm going to try to wear a different hat for all these. You should. You should have like a cowboy hat. Like you should get like a. I had a. I got. Get, a, I was at a, a Kansas City Royal game, and they gave out a, a Negro League style hat, um, for their franchise. And it's actually a hat worn by one of the kids, in um, the Sandlot. I was just thinking of the Sandlot. Yes. It's, if you can think of the Kansas City, the red Kansas City hat the kid wears in the Sandlot, yeah. I have that. It looks silly on me because it's got a short brim because it's a Negro League style hat. Um. I got some White Sox hats. I got some Bears hats. Got some Illini hats. Uh, Trying to wear, uh, try to wear a different hat, so you don't see my uh, 
my receiving hairline. The, the hat is rocking it, my man. But I think that, week, yeah. we will catch again. Catch Thank again. you so much for listening. Thank you so much for following us on all our social platforms. We appreciate you. This is our 40th episode. Wow. Nine months to the day of our I mean, talk about getting better with age. <laughs> That's true. We're like, if, if you're going back and listening to our old podcast, like start at five or something. You keep saying that, but honestly, we've started out of the gate better than the White Sox did in any of their last 20 years. So, you know, give I got to give us a little bit of a pat on the back. I mean, honestly, that first episode, those first two or three, we didn't even show up with topics. We just showed up and just started rambling off the top just of our rambling. And the first one is supposed to be um, a Jesse Plumman-centric episode. One of and, my and... favorites of one of those couple first ones, and I'll have to look back. We recorded it like late on a Saturday night. And I'll never forget, I was at dinner, and you were like, you good to go in like an hour? And I turned to my wife, and I go, we got to get home. I got to get on. <laughs> we'll do this. So it's cool to look back to see that now we're just now on YouTube. So until next week, my oh, man. Again, we have a super special episode. We won't, we're not going to announce what it is, but no. definitely make Keep sure you it's gonna be look good. out. It's going to be dope. We got a couple cool stuff planned after that as well. Keep looking Thank out. You. Until Thank you so time. much for listening. All right. We've, we've officially hit that two hour mark so we can leave. All right. Peace out. Peace out. Bye. All right. All right. For your extra, extra pleasure tonight, we will be talking about the Charlie Chaplin classic, Monsieur Verdot. And if I did not pronounce that right, by my good friend Adam is absurd who has put this together tonight. I extremely apologize, but again, Monsieur Verdo. Here we go. Sometimes great directors will sacrifice large box office numbers and the safety of good audience reception for projects they really believe in. Depending on past success and status of the filmmakers themselves, that luxury is often afforded to them with no real consequence. Because even if the film is a flop, most will gloss over it as a blip on the radar and simply expect better in the future. Many of these films are underappreciated until years later or really never as they should be. Charlie Chaplin made himself a prime example of this circumstance when he decided to make Monsieur Verdot, which was released by United Artists in 1947. When anyone thinks of Charlie Chaplin, I can guarantee that the, his films post great director are never great dictator are never at top of the mind due to the fact that they do not feature his little tramp character. The great dictator, which was released in 1940 was final time. You'd see him as that iconic character, as well as the only time that character would be in a film that was entirely in sound. Chaplin held off making talkies until then even though they had come into our film culture in 1927. In the nine years following the advent of sound films, he made City Lights in 1931 and Modern Times in 1936. Both were still silent films. However, Modern Times did have a few scenes with sound dialogue, but for the vast majority of it was a silent picture. 
When Chaplin finally relented and made The Great Dictator, which being released in 1940 was a full 13 years after the first sound film was released, he decided it would be the last time you would see the Tramp character, because most of what made that character what he was, was his ability to communicate effectively through pantomime and facial expression. Fast forward seven years from The Great Dictator, and you're now in post-World War II society that has endured nothing but pain, suffering, sacrifice, and all-around horror. With the era finally being closed with the Nuremberg Trials in 1946, the world specifically and the United States and Western Europe, where his new movie was widely released, was in the mood for lighter entertainment or gritty noir films that featured various heroes and their exploits, rather than anything resembling something that could be construed as horrific. Now that the atmosphere and the attitude of the time is set, let's go to what Chaplin had in mind for his new film, Mancier Verdot. This film was based on a real-life French Bluebeard criminal, Henry Landru. Bluebeards, for those who are not privy, are in this case men who marry multiple times and murder their wives for personal and or financial gain. The idea to make this film was originally conceived by Orson Welles, who wanted Chaplin to be his lead, Henry Landru, renamed Henry Verdot for the screen as a part of a series of documentaries documentaries Wells wanted to do, one documentary in the series being about Landrieu. Initially, Chaplin was on board for this because he could finally do a dramatic part. But as a little time passed and ego set in, Chaplin decided that he really did not want to act for another director in a film, being that he hadn't acted under anyone's direction since he first got his start acting for Max Sennett and the Keystone Company all the way back in 1914 and never once in a full-length full film, full-feature-length full film. So Chaplin dropped out of the project, but since the script still had not been written for the film, Chaplin remained quite interested in the idea, wanted to write the screenplay himself, and turn it into a dark comedy. Chaplin then contacted Wells and informed him that even though the production he had in mind would not be a documentary, he still would pay Wells for the idea. After a little negotiating, it was decided that Wells would receive a sum of money for the idea and a screen credit for the idea of the film. Considering the legal battles Chaplin had been involved in for various and mostly absurd reasons that made his public image suffer, plus the fact that he was going to, that he was going to make a film that had no tramp character for the very first time, it was already a gamble. Now add to the plot that had a very dark and murderous tone, although still technically a comedy, during a time where the world had simply not enough of death in general, simply had enough of death in general, this was now going to be an extreme uphill battle. Looking back now, I believe he had to know that he was setting himself up for critical failure, not only from the film critics themselves, but the fans who have watched him be one thing and love him for it for many, so many years. Nevertheless, away he went, now Chaplin was never the director Orson Welles was, but he did hammer out a decent script and was playing the lead. He would guarantee a quality performance for himself. Again, Chaplin would direct, act in, produce, and compose the music himself, as he had done for a long time now in all of his films, which always made for a longer production. This was nothing Chaplin fans were strangers to. He generally took five or six years between film releases. Some was due to issues in his personal life, but most was attributed to his meticulous control over every aspect 
every aspect, I'm sorry. Every, save for one aspect. That aspect was the camera work itself. His camera work for the film was once, again, Roly Tethero, who had worked behind the camera for Chaplin ever since their time with the Easy SNA Company. This would be his final run with Chaplin as his director of photography. But he did come back as a consultant on the next film Chaplin made, Limelight, in 50, 1952. Now Chaplin was obviously always the biggest star of his films, which with being a silent film star for the ages was a walk in the park every time out. But now with him having to develop entire scripts that contained dialogue, he needed added support for his castmates. The largest co-star of any sound film he made was Paulette Goddard, who starred in his final silent film and the first sound film. This time without Goddard, he needed to approach it in a different manner. He decided to go with a handful of character actors who never had a starring roles in films and another comedian who would play one of his wives late in the second act of the film. This comedian, Martha Ray, her physical talent, quick wit, and unique voice was just perfect for comedic banter with co-stars made her quite an adequate foil for Chaplin's dastardly Verdot in the film. Chaplin really leans into the plotting sneakiness of the Henry Fado character, taking his training and ability of pantomime from the silent days to move around the screen in most of the scenes like a panthon, like a pathon, just waiting to coil himself around his next victim, a python, just waiting to coil himself around his next victim. This, plus his comical reactions to certain situations and his general humorous mannerisms, whether it's counting money or something as simple as climbing stairs makes his performance as much as one can want from it. The film does depict his odious character in a more positive light. Once it's revealed what his true motivation for his actions are, I believe this happens a little early in the film, though. I think he should have built a little more contempt for himself. While also maintaining the comedy... So the reveal of his motivation blindsides the audience, rather than give them a reason to somewhat offer absolution for his actions. But as I stated this, this is all done prior to the second act and a bit early in my opinion. It is surprising to see Chaplin as this character though. He commits some vile acts, albeit all off screen, and then when you're in just about to turn on him, he shows a propensity for mercy and even reels you back in by his using his comedic genius to make you remember that this is the guy you will always root for, even if he is presented as the anti-hero, as he is in this film. The end of the movie is easily the darkest of any film he had ever made. As he does in The Great Dictator, he makes a rather moving speech that this time isn't anywhere near as uplifting. Instead, it's foreboding warning of things to come in post-depression Europe, and he exposes the hip hypocrisy of those who are judging him as he sees it. It's a dark end, to a dark comedy, but a comedy nonetheless. As predicted, it wasn't well received by audiences or critics, but as the years have passed, it has garnered more respect from serious film fans. Still, it's a movie that is floating under the radar, but should not just be viewed by any Chaplin fan, but all moviegoers in general. Monsieur Verdot is a fine film, not a great film, but a fine film that deserves its just due for the risk that was taken by the filmmaker who by the time knew the deck was stacked against him and had to figure out how to move on after the most iconic and adored film character in all of cinema. 
that he created and cultivated was now a thing of the past. Five years later, he was unjustly exiled from the United States, just as he was releasing his next film, Limelight. Things were never the same for him, but his post-Tramp character films deserve more of a look and a level of respect for what they were, rather than hapless attempts to recreate his magic from the silent era. After moving, after writing this, I realized that I have now picked two movies that have happened to be from 1947. I promise it's a coincidence, and I'll pick a different year next time around. Thanks for listening, though, and give this film a shot whenever the opportunity presents itself. Honestly, um, Adam is absurd. My good friend Adam, he came up with this, um, and as soon as he gave me this list, I went right, and it was on HBO Max. So please go ahead, check out Monsieur Verdot. Excellent, excellent little article here. I love when he does these articles. He says he's going to be doing more of them. Amazing. Also, thank my co-host again, Millennial Socks, for this great live episode tonight. Um, thank everyone for listening. Please, please um, keep tuning in. Tune into all of our stuff. We really, really appreciate it. Have a good week, and we'll catch you all next week. Thank you.